2: Hey, this is Bridget. And this is Emily. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. And today, I'm pretty excited to talk through one of my favorite topics, reality TV. Not just any reality TV, trashy reality TV. I'm talking shows like... The Kardashians. Keeping up with them. Keeping up with them. Not just Kim, but Kim, Chloe, the whole. Kendall, Kendall, Kylie. Kylie, the entire crew. <laughs> uh, crew with a K. Crew with a K, of course. I'm talking shows like Basketball Wives. I'm talking shows like Real
3: Housewives which is of
2: Everywhere. <laughs> Real Housewives of Everywhere, particularly Atlanta, because it's my very favorite one. Basically, if you're anything like me, you love, 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 love kicking back with a good, trashy reality TV show. Sometimes, I'm not going to lie, it's pretty fun to just turn off your brain and just watch people have really inane conversations and have arguments about things that are super trivial that really don't matter and, you know, throw drinks in each other's faces. Sometimes that's fun, right?
3: First of all, I feel like reality TV is more nuanced than it seems.
2: Oh, As a connoisseur of reality TV, I can 100% vouch for that. It absolutely is. Probably my favorite thing about reality TV is how campy and over-the-top it is. There are things that come up on reality TV shows that are so over-the-top, you can't believe they've actually happened. And of course, they're scripted and yada, yada, yada.
3: But Right, they didn't actually happen. Yeah, you're like, oh, I can't believe that
2: happened because it's fake. Right. But that's why I love it so much, is that it's sort of this hyper-reality that, imagine if this was the actual world that we lived in. It's not, but imagine if it was.
3: Yeah, there's almost this need to like suspend belief for a moment, to really enjoy reality TV. You have to suspend belief and, not to mention, suspend your feminist ideology, which I think The Onion parodied so perfect in their article, satirical article, obviously, titled... Woman takes short half hour break from being feminist to enjoy TV show.
2: <laughs> that article is basically my life. When I come home from a long day of being mired in feminist politics and super depressed, sometimes I just want to come home and watch my dang shows, right? And turn off my brain and not think about things for a while. The article says Saying that she just wanted a little time to relax and not even think about confining gender stereotypes, local healthcare industry consultant Natalie Jenkins reportedly took a 30-minute break from being a feminist last night to kick back and enjoy a television program. Jenkins told reporters that after a long and tiring day at the office... All she wanted to do was return home, sit down on her couch, and turn on an episode of TLC's reality show, Say Yes to the Dress, and treat herself to a brief half hour where she could look past all the various and near constant ways popular culture undermines the progress of women.
3: (laughs) There's a quote from said woman in this article saying, between 9 and 9.30, I'm not even going to take notice of all the two-dimensional portrayals of women as fashion and shopping-obsessed prima donnas. That part of my brain will just be switched off
2: you're here, here, Natalie. I am right there with you. And it's funny, but it's also true. And fictional Natalie and I are not alone. Women watch more reality TV than men. According to Civic Science, a market research firm, women are 10% more likely than men to be what they call super fans of reality TV. That's people who watch more than five hours a week. Would you say that you're a super fan? I'm a super, super fan. If you <laughs> look at my DVR, my DVR is all Judge Judy, Law & Order Criminal Intent. Well, that's not reality TV.
3: I mean... It's inspired by real events. Yeah. I love me some Law &
2: Order. Oh, I could, if I, my dream of dreams is to host a podcast spit-off that's just Law & Order focused.
3: (gasps) Yes. You need to pitch that right away. I love that.
2: Networks, call me.
3: (laughs) (laughs) No, it's real. I mean, you're a Kim Kardashian selfie book owning reality TV fan, are you not? Can
2: I say, people gave Kim Kardashian a lot of crap about that selfie book. If her name were Andy Warhol, it would be on the top 10 best art book lists of the year it came out. I
3: agree. I think the, I mean, for me, I'm not a reality TV super fan, but I am a Kardashian super fan. So we, we really should devote an entire episode to them on another day. But I think the Kardashians have shown how much reality TV can be a platform for your business that is your whole life. And they've turned their lives into business machines, into money making machines.
2: Definitely. So I mentioned earlier in the show that I'm obsessed with the show, Real Housewives of Atlanta. Um, NeNe Leakes is someone who I quote often, <laughs> I guess. She's great. She's great. Fun fact, her picture is hanging in the African American Cultural Museum here in D.C. If you go to that museum, they have a wall dedicated to black gestures. And her I've iconic point is in the museum as an iconic black gesture.
3: Yeah. So that's, fun
2: fact. She's the, the most gif person.
3: Nene Leakes, or Jiff, pardon me. She's a very highly
2: referenced Jif on Jiffy or Giffy. She is. She is. As much as I love Real Housewives of Atlanta as this light, fluffy, mindless entertainment, recently I've had to sort of contend with the fact that their entertainment might not just be for entertainment value. Actually, it can be kind of heavy. I'm talking about the controversy earlier this week that one of the characters on the show, Kenya, was found making some pretty transphobic statements on the show. And even before that... Kenya had a situation on the show where she was actually the victim of intimate partner abuse. And rather than showing this as the serious and very scary thing that it was on the show, it was more handled like a juicy plot line, which I found... Very, very upsetting and troubling. I actually wrote a piece on Huffington Post, and I just wondered, why is this not being treated as very, very serious abuse? Why are Bravo executives putting a camera in this woman's face and having her talk about her situation as if it's a juicy, you know, argument at a party, when in fact it's really scary? Really scary. I think the
3: same sort of reality TV washing over serious issues happens again and again on Real Housewives. I'm not the most avid watcher of the Real Housewives empire, but I do recall that the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills featured some really scary footage of Kim Richards dealing with drug and alcohol abuse issues or purported drug and alcohol abuse issues and keeping the cameras rolling when this is a woman who's experiencing a medical low point in her life who needs serious intervention and help and support. And instead, they're they're making money off of her spectacle, which I just thought was really not
2: okay. Exactly. And even furthermore, when Russell Armstrong killed himself, he was a husband of one of the characters on our Real Housewives franchise. It was later revealed that he was abusive toward his wife. And I like reality TV, but that's scary and serious. And I don't feel good about promoting people's darkest moments as a spectacle.
3: Yeah, it's pretty gross, actually, if you think about the fact that, like, they're using your attention to sell ads, and they're using someone's very real crisis as drama that is being commercialized. I just find that really gross.
2: And I think back to one of the earliest reality TV shows, The Real World, I remember the character Ruthie, who I've actually met in real life. When I was in college, she came to give a talk at my college about safe sex and healthy choices, so shout-out to Ruthie. But... I don't know if you guys remember, I'm kind of dating myself here. Reality TV didn't used to be the spectacle of people making dangerous and abusive decisions. It was just showing people what they were doing. And it was Ruthie drunk driving outside of a nightclub one night that was kind of a turning point where you actually saw MTV producers in real time trying to figure out what to do. Do they let her drive home and film it? Do they stop her? And it was really, for me, a turning point of oh, one, reality TV is going to be a big part of our culture. Two, what is the responsibility of the people who produce this kind of programming to make sure they're putting out content that is responsible?
3: Or just to make sure that the people who are in front of the camera are safe. Plain and simple. And when abuse and sort of spectacle is made the norm, then we end up with reality TV that's not just harmful for the people on it, but it's harmful for the people viewing it. It normalizes behavior
2: that should not be normalized. Absolutely. So even though I'm someone who is a huge advocate for coming home after a hard day, putting your feet up and just watching four hours of Jersey Shore, you have to ask yourself, am I actually contributing to something negative and harmful? Can you really just turn off your brain and consume this entertainment mindlessly? Or is something else going on? We're going to dive into that after this quick break.
0: This episode of Stuff Mom Never Told You is brought to you by HelloFresh.
1: Get fresh pre-measured ingredients and mouthwatering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door with HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes home cooking
0: fun, easy, and affordable. So if you're ready to try some of the delicious food from HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash MomStuff80 and use code MomStuff80 to get a total of $80 off, including free shipping on your first box. That's HelloFresh.com slash
1: MomStuff80 and use code MomStuff80 to get a total of $80 off and free shipping on your first box. Additional restrictions apply. Please visit HelloFresh.com for more details. This episode is brought to you
0: by Arches and Halos.
1: Between being on video calls all day, having to wear masks everywhere, and now using our eyes and only our eyes to smile at people, it feels like the main thing people notice now are our eyes.
0: Arches and Halos is our favorite brow product that is so easy to find, pick up, and with a few quick steps, have the most amazing brows ever. They have professional
1: quality products at the perfect price point. Celebrity makeup artists use arches and halos because
0: of how well done the formulas are. And they are half the price of department store brands. They have eight color shades to choose from. Everything from sunny blonde to auburn to charcoal. Everyone is
1: represented. They cater to women and men of all brow shapes and sizes. Embrace your natural brow.
0: And they're all about individuality. Brow tools for all looks and style needs. You can use for dramatic or natural look. They
1: have an amazing range of products, too, from tweezers, razors, pencils, pomade, mousses, gels, all kinds of things. Find Arches and Halos on your next trip to Target and Walgreens. Arches and Halos Professional Brow Grooming. Be bold, be you.
2: And we're back. I have been just admitting some of my favorite guilty pleasure TV and thinking about whether it is a guilty pleasure, if I should feel guilty about it, or if I'm contributing to something a little more harmful than I might realize. So one thing that we talked about is the people in front of the camera, whether or not they're being treated in a way that is safe and healthy. But it's always important to think about those who are in front of the TV consuming this programming as well. It probably isn't a surprise to y'all. Reality programming isn't it really that helpful when it comes to young girls.
3: It's not good for young girls. It's probably not good for all of us, but there's been a lot of research done by the Girl Scouts Institute on the rise of reality TV and how it has some troubling consequences for young girls consuming it. Forty-seven percent of girls and young women say that they're regular viewers. That's a lot. That's almost fifty percent of the population, with thirty percent saying that they sometimes watch. So that's almost 80% of girls and young women saying that they sometimes or regularly view reality TV. 86% of girls believe these shows, quote, often pit girls against each other to make the shows more exciting. And another 70% say that these shows make people think it's okay to treat each other badly.
2: That makes me so sad because if all of these young girls are consuming this media and a lot of them are agreeing that it makes people think it's okay to treat each other in a way that's not nice. It just, you would just have to ask, like, what are they consuming? What are they learning about? I'm a big proponent in reminding folks that some kind of content is only suited for adults, and I think reality TV might fall in that category. But, according to a study by Parent Television Council, a lot of young folks are consuming reality TV, particularly on MTV, and what's kind of interesting is that MTV reality TV programming is actually some of the most harmful out there.
3: Yeah, we're talking about things like Teen Mom and Jersey Shore. And I'm surprised to hear that Teen Mom falls into that category of being sort of slammed as being bad for children and especially young girls watching it. A study actually released by the National Bureau of Economic Research says that 16 and pregnant ultimately led to a 5.7% reduction in teen births in the 18 months after its premiere on TV. That actually postulates that this show alone accounts for a third of the overall decline in teen births in the United States during that period.
2: Wow. That's really something. So full disclosure, I'm a big watcher of Teen Mom and 16 and Pregnant, but I always wondered if the show, even though it makes teen motherhood look very difficult and look very stressful and look like something that's not a walk in the park, for sure, part of me always thought, well, if I'm a teenager watching this, even if this looks stressful and difficult and hard to do, it's still on TV. And so I wonder if some young people watch this and say, gee, this doesn't look fun at all, but... If she can do it, I can do it. If she can do it, I can do it. And she's in magazines, and I'm watching on MTV right now, so it can't be all
3: bad. And now she's an influencer, and now she's getting plastic surgery, and now what's happening beyond the show. Yeah, I think it definitely has long-term harmful consequences, even if the short-term impact was a positive one, if you want to put it that way. I just think it's complicated, and what's worse is that even shows like Teen Mom or 16 and Pregnant, like Jersey Shore, like The Real Housewives... Pit women against each other. It reduces women to catty stereotypes that are not
2: positive depictions of all that women can be. Exactly. Going back to that Parent Television Council study for a minute, one of the things they found in that study is that shows like Teen Mom, you might think of it as being really sexist in terms of men making sexist, harmful comments to women. Actually, the study found that you're more likely to see women making negative comments toward other women or to themselves than men. And so I think if you're a young person watching this, that might normalize this idea that as a young woman, it's okay to be negative toward your female peers, and it's also okay to be negative toward yourself.
3: Oh, that is so depressing. And the other part of this research that I found really frustrating and reductive was the fact that this Cool girl narrative seems to be very popular and common in reality TV. Males tended to refer to females as, quote, cool and view them more favorably when females displayed characteristics that males considered more male-like. Basically, not... Caring about having an emotional connection with the people that you're sleeping with and not viewing sex as an indication of a greater commitment, not requiring romance prior to intercourse, not being jealous when the males were sexual with other females, that cool girl who's emotionally detached, that sort of trope plays out over and over again. What is that teaching girls watching? What is that teaching girls watching, like, about how they should respect themselves or what they should emotionally require for partners and equally respectful relationships that they choose to enter into?
2: Yeah, there's nothing wrong if you're an adult woman who is getting into consensual sexual relationships and you don't feel very emotionally attached. But I don't think that we should be telling young teenage girls that that is the way for boys to think that you're cool, that you're cool if you're this kind of person Girls should be figuring out what kind of person they want to be and what kind of sexual relationships feel right and healthy and respectful for them. If they're getting this message that the only kinds of sexual relationships you can have and still be considered, quote, cool are ones that are detached and icy and all of that, I don't think that's good.
3: No, it's not. And not to mention, reality TV shows like The Real Housewives tend to portray women not as nuanced Characters with full careers and lives and interests, but instead they really reduce women to these oversimplified stereotypes
2: that aren't just based on gender, but race too. Exactly, Emily. And we're going to hear more on that topic and how reality TV shows can really treat women of color in some nasty, toxic ways and hear from a guest who pretty much wrote the book on how that happens after a quick
4: break. Got to tell you about Best Fiends. It's the game pretty much everybody's talking about. Morgan number 2 plays this sometimes before we start the show. You know, it really challenges your brain with the fun puzzles, but it's also a very casual game, so it won't stress you out, which is perfect these days, right? What's great is you can use the game as a way to connect with your friends and your family, all while social distancing. The game is so much more than your average mobile puzzle game. It's five-star rated with over 100 million downloads, thousands of fun levels, and tons of characters to collect. You know... There are new in-game challenges and events every month, so the game's always fresh. You'll never be bored with it. You can even play the game without using Wi-Fi. So, here we go. You don't want to miss out on the game. Join millions of Americans and a lot of us here on the show who are already playing this fun puzzle game. Download Best Fiends for free on the Apple App Store or Google Play today. Just go over there, hit download Best Fiends for free, Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Check it out. I do think you'll like it. Friends without the R. Best fiends.
1: This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. So we know, listeners, it's been rough for a lot of people out there. And we've been very open about our experiences with therapy and how it's been so helpful for us in the past and in the present. And because of that, we wanted to highlight a service that we think might be of help to you all, BetterHelp, which offers licensed online counselors who are trained to listen and to help.
0: Get started today at
1: betterhelp.com/momstuff. That's better h e l p.com/momstuff. Talk to a therapist online and get help.
2: And we're back. And for more on reality TV, whether or not it is just a harmless guilty pleasure or if it can be a little bit more harmful, we're joined by Jennifer Posner. Jennifer Posner is a media critic, speaker, and founder of Women in Media and News. Her book, Reality Bites Back, The Troubling Truth About Guilty Pleasure TV, exposes how reality TV functions as a backlash against gender and racial justice. She's been published in The New York Times, Newsweek, Bitch, Miss, The Nation, Politico, among others, and has appeared as a commentator on ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, MSNBC, and Fox, among many others. Jennifer, we are so glad to have you here today.
5: Thank you. I'm glad to be with you.
2: So, Jennifer, we started today's episode with me talking about my love of reality TV and sort of it being a guilty pleasure, right? To turn off my brain and watch it. Can you really consume reality TV in this way? Do you think? Well, it's
5: not so much can you. It's it's more should you, right? And it's not even only sh- uh, should you consume reality TV this way. It's should you engage with any kind of media that way. Um, So as a media literacy educator, my main goal when I wrote the book Reality Bites Back, just as when I do media literacy talks or workshops on how to engage with journalistic media, um, my goal is not to get people to stop watching reality TV or to stop, um, you know, watching a particular news show that they enjoy The goal is to just be able to arm yourself with the critical deconstruction tools, uh, that will allow you to watch these shows if you really want to. Still have fun with it, but not subtly take in all the really damaging messages that are always beaming out from so many of these, um, so many of these programs in the genre that really get you when you're in the state of turning your brain off. That's the one thing that I really hope that people don't do is continue to think that it's okay for us, that we won't be harmed if we turn our brain off, um, it's really tempting to want to though. Look, I mean, I'm human. I'm a huge TV fan, right? I grew up, I grew up in the eighties. I was the, the quote unquote latchkey kid. You know, I didn't have siblings. TV was my sister, you know? Um, and it's tempting. We have hard lives now. We go to work, we go to school. It's difficult. The world is a dumpster fire. We want to come home, not think about things. But when we don't think, when we are in a passive state, that is when advertisers and that is when uh, media producers have us at our most intellectually and emotionally vulnerable. That's when the deep seated messages around gender, around race, around class, around sexuality um, can sort of subtly sink in in ways that can do us damage.
3: It sounds like you're advocating for conscious consumption of really trashy TV. Is that right? Right.
5: Well <laughs> um like if almost.
3: you're going like almost if you're going to go there, if you're going to consume it, consume it actively with a critical eye, right? I, I mean, what are those harmful messages that you see over and over again in this genre, and specifically messages that are harmful for women and girls and women of color
5: well, it's um it's so incredibly uh dense the the amount of misogyny and racism in reality TV um, has been, uh, is it's almost incalculable, although I did my best to document 10 years of it, the first 10 years on network and cable TV, uh, the first 10 years on network TV and the sort of proliferation of it on cable from 2000 to 2010. And um I can tell you that there are a number of incredibly damaging tropes, including the idea that Women in general are catty, bitchy, not to be trusted, especially not by other women. Um, that women are stupid, um, ditzy, bimbos, uh, intellectually inferior to uh, to men. Um, that they can't get ahead unless they trade on their sexuality. Um, that women are. sort of um, overly emotional and oversensitive to things that are so not a big deal, you know, like violence against women. Um, Yeah. And that that women are incompetent also. They're incompetent at work, but they're also incompetent at home. They're bad moms, they're bad wives, they're bad girlfriends. Um, It's very rare that women are portrayed in reality TV as doing anything right. And uh, there's also, of course, the notion that women are shallow, greedy gold diggers, um, that women are mercenary and only interested in love for what it can give them financially. Um, and finally, that women are in general, in particular, single women are in general They're pathetic, desperate, man-hungry losers who can never possibly live full, happy, or successful lives without husbands. And I should say, they don't have to even be good husbands. They can be um, sort of chauvinistic and disrespectful and not loyal uh, cheaters and even abusive to them. But if they're husbands, then maybe those women can live, you know, acceptable lives but otherwise they're going to be losers forever um and those tropes that i mentioned apply to all women in reality tv across the board in for, and i'm i'm not just talking about dating shows i'm talking about dating shows makeover shows lifestyle shows even some of the you know the the talent competition shows the uh, how to change your house and, you know, flip it shows, the decor shows, cooking shows. I've seen these tropes ac- across the genre. Let's talk in another question about the apprentice and business shows. Um, but even as all women are represented in those kinds of ways, um, women of color, face even more extreme stereotyping and discrimination and bias in reality TV. So in addition to the stupidity and the losers and the gold diggers and and et cetera, you have uh, the idea that Black women are incurably angry, belligerent, uneducated, ignorant, ignorant violence ready to pop off verbally or physically at the drop of a hat um that uh hypersexual of course very much uh, going between the the mammy and the Jezebel stereotypes from back from menstrual days and then when it comes to uh latina women there's been this very Uh, consistent stereotype of, uh, sort of trope of the spicy, hot, Latina, the quote unquote hoochie, the, um, very much focused around sex and sexuality, but in an exploited way, not in a way that, um, assumes that that woman has agency, um, not in a sex positive way, more in a sexploitative way, um, And with Asian women, there's, who have appeared very rarely on reality TV, there's a lot more invisibility. But when Asian women have not been completely invisible, they've been portrayed as, uh, very much the sort of dragon lady stereotype or the kind of geisha stereotype. It's really base. A lot of the stereotypes about Um, women in particular, women in general and women of color in particular are incredibly venal, base, regressive ideas about who we are as people. And, and men too have been portrayed in these negative, in, in negative and limiting ways. Um, men are portrayed as basically Mr. Right as long as they have a firm ass and a firm financial portfolio. And the only, you know, like, that's all you need, boys. You know, make it big on Wall Street and you can, you know, you can do anything. You can grab her by the, oh, wait, I, I think we've seen what reality TV tells us is Mr. Right, right? In the most grand, world threatening sense. Um, and in a very, it, this is part of why I have not been surprised by Trump because I monitored the genre for the, for 10 years. I, I analyzed, I, I transcribed personally every episode of The Apprentice for like a decade. None of this was surprising to me because I saw it all on TV. And we all did, too, but not in a critical way. And that goes back to why I think it's really important to watch in a critical, active way so that we understand what's coming at us.
2: So, Jennifer, in addition to our uh, president, what are some other specific examples that you've seen this play out on TV?
5: Well, uh, let's see. What do we want to talk about first? Let's let's um, talk about everybody's uh, <laughs> one of everybody's favorites, sort of either uh, actual favorites or hate watch favorites. The Bachelor and the Bachelorette. Um, Because one of the reasons I start out with that a lot of the time is because, A, it's one of the very first major reality shows that ever hit network television, and it's the longest-running dating franchise on TV. But it's also the franchise that started or at least revived for contemporary audiences many of these tropes about women, many of made many of these stereotypes about women and about gender roles in general, um, sort of de across the board in the uh, burgeoning reality TV genre that it was at the birth of. And so you look at the way that The Bachelor was set up in the beginning as a cattle call, basically, um, to portray women as having so little self respect and so little prospect, so few prospects in life that they would subject themselves to live in uh, in a house with zero access to outside information or phone calls to their kids or their friends or newspapers or magazines or Internet, um, just so that some dude they've never met before who they don't know from Adam, who could be anyone. He could be a rapist. He could be a loser. Who knows? But ABC says he's great. And, oh, he has a great ass. So let's marry him, ladies. Otherwise, we'll die alone. The the phrase die alone was uh, a constant since the beginning of that uh, franchise. One after another, after another woman in her early 20s to to early 30s, constantly saying, I don't want to die alone. What's wrong with me? Why can't anybody love me for who I am? I try to be skinny enough. I try to be beautiful enough. I try to be nice enough. Why would anybody love me? This is my only shot. This is my only chance. This is my only. And they'd have these repeated narratives about how women are nothing unless some dude chooses them. And the portrayal of the men is just, they're perfect. They don't have to actually be very smart, and they're usually not. They don't have to actually be very interesting, and they're usually not. Um, All those fantastic vacations and glamorous dinners and very expensive gifts and rings and dresses and cars are a stand-in for how dull the man is. And women are pitted against each other in pursuit of that one dude because they are telling the audience the producers i say i don 't mean the women themselves. the producers are telling the audience that one of these women will emerge happy and in love and it being in love is the only successful accomplishment a woman can make in her life is the implication and all the others are going to go home being losers like they always were it doesn't matter what they do professionally it doesn't you know they shouldn't have ambition ambition has been portrayed on that franchise until very recently in, only in the last couple of seasons um have there been exceptions. Ambition was almost always portrayed on that sh- franchise as being extremely unattractive and wrong. So I, I feel like
3: these examples you're giving are so spot on and also so omnipresent that how is a feminist like me or a reality TV show-loving feminist like Bridget here, how are we supposed to enter into... Conscious consumption. Like, is there a right way to watch reality TV while being conscientious of the messages we're receiving?
5: There absolutely are ways to reduce the harm and still be able to get pleasure from your entertainment. Um I have a whole chapter in the back of the toward the end of my book Reality Bites Back called Fun with Media Literacy and the reason that I am really um I'm really passionate about media literacy is because it allows you to sort of strike back at propaganda um strike back at sort of intellectual brainwashing without sacrificing, uh, sort of the human need for entertainment, um, without sacrificing fun, right? So here are some ways. Um, when you, when you watch a reality TV show, just like when you engage with any other form of media, um, what are, Ask yourself some very key questions. Um, who created this image? Um, and when I say who created it, who owns it? Um, who is the image for? Who profits from it? Um, what are the uh, are the sort of financial investments in this image? So, for example, reality TV, as opposed to a lot of other kinds of media, reality TV. A lot of the reason that um, that it's so toxic is it's incredibly cheap to make. And it comes because it's, you know, they don't use union, uh, weight. You don't, they don't pay union wages. They don't use union workers, but they also come in before the show is ever on the air. They have sold usually some of these big franchises like American Idol or The Bachelor or The Voice, et cetera. They've sold millions upon millions of dollars of product placement advertising before the show has ever gotten to air. So they don't even have to get the really high ratings. Um, they can stay on the air with much lower ratings than a scripted show because they've already made half their money already. Right. Um, and advertisers have been notoriously sexist and racist, as we know, if we've ever studied any kind of media literacy before. One of the things you want to be conscious of is whether or not you're being sold something, whether that's, thing you're being sold is commercial or ideological. So what are the messages you're being sold alongside this entertainment? What is the master narrative, right? How have um, the producers and the editors worked in conjunction um, with each other behind the scenes to get you to think and feel certain things about characters, about people, about scenarios, And if you believe most people, let's be frank, if I said to most people, you know, even like you love reality TV, if I said to you,
2: do you think it's real? What would you say? I would say it's I would say it's probably not real. If I had to say, I know it's not real. I watch it and pretend that it's real, but I know it's not. And, you know, I
5: think most people at this point in the beginning of the genre, when I would do media literacy workshops or talks with students in like 2003, 2004, they really did think it was real. But in the last 10 years or so, people have started to get hip to it and they understand it's not real, or at least they think they do. So they'd mostly say exactly what you just said or some version of it. But if I then asked people and I've I've done this so many times, it always works out the same way. If I then ask people about a character on their favorite reality show, and I say, what do you think about that person? I get back, oh, so, oh, she's a bitch. Oh, he's a bitch. Oh, she's such a sweet girl. Oh, but uh. if you believe you know a person who you've seen on reality TV and what you think they're really like, you don't really know reality TV is not real because you don't know what Frankenbite editing can do. Bind and Combined Editing is the lifeblood of a genre. And what it does is it can take little bits and pieces of conversations that people have had with entirely different people on entirely different days about entirely different subjects, splice them together, and make it seem like somebody who was talking about their puppy is actually in love with The Bachelor, or somebody who was crying about. Um their father getting a phone call that their father's in the hospital was actually crying on the job so there are bad candidates at the apprentice or et cetera The manipulations that go on behind the scenes from producers both in the in the editing and structurally um in many other ways often often um, are aimed at selling you some very specific ideas about individual characters, but also about women and men, people of color, trans people, queer people, straight people, you know, poor people, rich people, et cetera. And, uh, you know, white people, black people. And we need to be really conscious to break of of that selling process to break it down. We also need to be conscious of when a, a, a product itself is being sold to us so that we're not just watching Um, we're not just devoting ourselves to something we think is entertainment, but really it's just a major commercial. Like every episode of The Apprentice, half the episode is all about um, selling something for a company.
2: Well, well, Jennifer, it sounds like you're really giving us the tools that we need to really be more critical viewers of this kind of content so that we're not just sort of mindlessly viewing it, thinking that it's a guilty pleasure that's super harmless where can our listeners find out more about all the great work that you're doing?
5: That was just the tip of the iceberg. If you want more tips like that, um, my book, Reality Bites Back, The Troubling Truth About Guilty Pleasure TV, you can find out more about it at realitybitesbackbook.com. Um, I actually do media literacy talks and workshops um, both on reality TV as well as on a variety of other topics, um, in particular right now on rape culture rape culture and gun violence in the media so if anybody's interested in that they can contact me on twitter at at j-e-n-n-p-o-z-n-e-r or on facebook find me there jennifer l posner um and uh, i would love to i'm always happy to answer media literacy questions and keep the conversation going so feel free to tweet at me and let's uh let's all you know Oh, let's never turn our brains off but still enjoy our
2: entertainment here, here. thanks so much, Jennifer. We really, really appreciate it.
5: Thank
3: you. I thought that was so interesting, Bridget. like those are some core tips and strategies for how we can still consume the garbage television that we all love and those quote unquote guilty pleasure shows that we want. But just be a little bit more mindful about not passively absorbing bad messages that really distill women down to these two-dimensional simplified characters. Like, you do not actually know people who are on reality TV.
2: As much as I like to think I know NeNe Leakes, I don't actually know her. And I don't actually know if what she says on the show is actually what she said. As Jennifer pointed out, those shows can be so heavily edited, I don't actually know what I'm seeing or how real any of this reality TV is. So it's always important to keep that in mind. I also think it's super interesting how... So much on this show comes back to being critical and being critical consumers. And so it doesn't matter if you're buying that nevertheless, she persisted sweatshirt that you think the proceeds go someplace good, but who actually knows because it's Etsy or you're watching a reality TV show. Really, it comes down to being critical about what we are consuming and making smart choices based on that.
3: Yeah, because in media, you're the product. You're what they're selling. So the fact that your eyeballs are on a certain TV show... If you're getting that TV show for free or you think it's free, keep in mind someone's profiting off of your attention. So you have to see those macro level motivations behind the media that we're consuming and just and be mindful about the kind of information diet that you're feeding your brain
2: and your mind and your heart. So, Sminty listeners, we want to hear from you. Are you, like me, a super fan of reality TV and you know the Kardashian sisters better than you know your own sisters, maybe? Maybe you hate reality TV and anybody who watches it, you roll your eyes immediately. Wherever you fall on that spectrum, we want to hear from you. You can get at us on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You, on Twitter at mom stuff podcast, And as always, we love getting your emails in our inbox at stuff at HowStuffWorks.com. <laughs>
6: Hi, I'm Allie Wentworth. How do I grow a teenager in a pandemic? Well, that's exactly what I want to find out. In my new podcast, Go Ask Allie, I'm asking experts to help me answer that question. For example, are quarantine teenage girls more apt to Instagram nude photos? Are they somehow going to end up on the dark web? Are teenagers getting ripped off by their new virtual education? And how do we deal with their overwhelming anxiety and uncertainty? And are they losing empathy? I'll be talking to experts and friends like my friend Brooke Shields. She'll reveal how her complicated sexual upbringing has influenced how she is as a mother to teenage girls. It's a new world, and how we raise these young humans in it determine our future. So let's share some real experiences with all new episodes releasing every other Thursday. Listen to Go Ask Allie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Dear Young Rocker Season 2 is a raw, honest, strange, and entertaining story about finding yourself in your early 20s and a lifelong relationship with music. It's hosted by me, Chelsea Erson, and is executive produced by Jake Brennan of Disgraceland. Dear Young Rocker comes to you from Double Elvis Productions and iHeartRadio. Listen to Dear Young Rocker on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.